Hi, it's Tom Panos. I've got with me Mark DiGiulio from Barry Plant. I wanted to say that right, and I have said it right, haven't I? Well done. Okay. Well done. This guy here, if you don't know him, quick snapshot, number one in the Barry Plant group here in Victoria. Good group. they got lots of officers. they got good operators. And this guy here is their number one, writes over a million dollars in gross commission. How old are you? Uh, just turned 30. So welcome. Thank you. Nice to see you. Likewise. So we were doing that training session about two, three weeks ago, and we agreed that we would do this uh, when uh, time permitted, and here we are today. And uh, Mark, firstly, congratulations. That's an incredible effort to be writing those numbers. Um, one of the things I want to do is get the viewers here that watch this. Uh, a lot of these guys are people that are writing 200, 300. And it's excellent that people have been down that path like you, and they're going to find it very useful knowing sure. that other people have gone down the, the path and that they can get to where you are. Uh, how long have you been in real estate? Um, I started in 2005. Yeah. Um, I worked as, some people may know, Spiro Drossos. He was my mentor and boss. Yeah. Um, started with him. I probably came into the industry when I was about 20, 21 years of age. Um, and I've been at Barry Plant ever since. Okay. Uh, so how old are you now? 30. 30. So 30. So um, now, what's your real estate career look like in terms of figures? You started off writing, what, like a couple of hundred thousand? Yeah. And then you've just built it up. Um, we spoke with Spiro. You had a bit of a, a tough period in 2008. It could have gone either way. Um, but you must have got very clear or something's happened and you've kept building it up and it's been a sustainable growth. It hasn't been like from 200 to a million in one year. It has been done in, in stages, which means that um, you're building the foundations to a good long-term business. Mm, absolutely. Okay. Uh, Mark, <coughs> how many people in your business unit? I operate with three, myself, obviously the team leader. Um, there's Lisa Young. Um, she's also my soon-to-be fiance, yeah. um, but she's my business administrator and she also is able to speak Mandarin and Cantonese. So she organises all my appointments, my diary, all my reports, uh, CMAs. I don't basically have a computer. I don't want to touch a computer. Um, my work and role is solely to be doing database calls and getting on the phone and doing face-to-face -face appointments. Um, Lisa handles all the back of house. Um, I then have Jason Stevener. Um, Jason is basically my buyer specialist. He deals with all the open for inspection calls. He still runs his database on a smaller version as what I do, um, but he allows me to leverage and obviously speak to more people and get out to more properties and meet more vendors. Excellent. So, Mark, you've got your business unit there and you've told me earlier on that you want to actually put someone else on as well. Um, at what point did you put on support? staff? Looking back on it now, I probably should have done it much earlier. Um, when I left Spiro's business unit, <clears throat> I was trying to do emails, uh, paperwork, vendor meetings, database calls, open for inspection calls. It was an absolute nightmare. Um, I look at the way that some of the other assistants to Spiro as time has passed on and how they did it. As soon as they left the business unit, they employed an administration assistant straight right. away and I've looked at the growth that they've had compared to what I had and the lag time and I believe that's the key difference 
Um, I think if you're going to start in this industry, even if you don't have the money, you need to make it work and pay somebody right. to get them to do the non-dollar productive activities, which is basically, if you're not on a telephone meeting somebody or at an open for inspection or at a listing presentation, you don't do that work. It should be delegated to someone else. Okay, so takeaway points there, guys and girls, you're hearing it from a guy that's writing the numbers well over a million dollars a year unless you're doing a listing presentation, unless you're on the phone talking to buyers or sellers, um, unless, uh, what were the other things that you were saying? So listing presentation, talking to buyers or sellers. Conducting open for inspection. Open houses. Or basically being in front of a person or a a touch point that's going to get you closer to actually closing a sale or listing a property. Okay. And I can't stress the importance of what Mark is saying. Any opportunity you have, if, if, if it's an email inquiry, try and get back to people in person, voice to voice. Use any opportunity. And you're listening to a guy that hardly touches a computer. And I'm just seeing this continued increasing group of agents that are actually replacing salesmanship with more or less keyboarding. Uh, many years ago, we used to hear people say, Geez, he's a great operator. He's got the gift of the gab. You don't hear people saying they've got the gift of the keyboard, you know? Um, it's, it's, and, and, and I can't stress the importance of understanding it's a contact sport. And what you're saying is get the support staff so it allows you to have more contact points. And, and, leverage. and, and leverage. And leverage. Essentially, I don't sit there with a computer going through my calls. I go home on a Sunday. I get my market appraisal book that I started in 2005 all the way up to 2013 and I actually just sit down for a good hour and a half, have a cup of coffee and I actually think, okay, have I called this person? Have I spoken with them? Have I sent them an email? Have I got a property that I can refer them to? Can I invite them to an auction? There needs to be certain touch points because you can't over chase people but you can annoy them if you're calling them constantly. So the frequency is important but it's the quality of that frequency and how you actually do it. Okay, well that's an interesting point. So what you're saying is you don't want to come across as a stalker where you're just chasing them and chasing them. You want to contact them and actually do things or say things that are going to make them come closer to you. Yeah, like let me give you an example. There was a client that I just recently listed. I've been chasing him for about two years. I had absolutely nothing to say to them, but I knew it was about time that I touched base with them. I just gave him a call. Hi, Tom. It's Mark from Barry Plant, your favorite real estate agent. And he just sort of paused. And then he goes, oh, Mr. Webb, how are you? Which is one of our major competitors. Yeah. Or, you know, Mr. White, as in Ray White. Yeah. Um, and we just right. had a joke and we just started talking football and had a chat and there was no real estate whatsoever. But I guarantee you I'll get that listing in two to three months. Right. But I'd built up the rule pool before that. Now, if I'd met him for, you know, the first time two weeks ago and was chasing him, I probably wouldn't have said that. But I wasn't a real estate agent. I was a mate. Right. And my business has been built around not being robotic. I think scripts and dialogues are amazing and lots of people use them. But the key is actually being you. And the one thing that I can tell your viewers is that the more you can be you, no one can beat you. Yeah. Because people like you. And nine times out of ten, they employ me for just being a nice guy, I think. The more you can be you, no one can beat you. I like that. You've got exclusive rights on yourself. Even if someone tried to copy you and they executed perfectly, they would never still be you. Um, And um, as I say to people be you because everyone else is taken yeah Um, can I just talk to you Mark when you're calling people you're calling people that are people that have bought in the past you're talking to people that have come through open houses um, 
you call them when on Mondays? My, my calls sort of vary. I, I try to keep to an ideal week. It's very hard, though. Um, I think Mondays can be a little bit hard because everybody's stressed out. They're going into their own office job or whatever they're doing, and it can be quite hard. Um, I try and do it maybe over Monday evening, and Wednesday's a very good day for me where I don't make a huge amount of calls. You know, In a week, I might make just under 100 calls, right. but the calls that I am doing right. are qualified and they're quality calls. Right. My assistant will then actually do maybe 150 calls to new prospects. Right. He generates the new business. I nurture the existing business. So I'm probably a business manager and nurturer right. versus a prospector. Excellent. Mark? Ideal week, you just touched on. In the ideal, what does the ideal week look like? Okay. Um, on, a, on a Monday, I'll get in. Um, I'll probably get in at about 7.30, 8 o'clock. Um, I try, like you, go to the gym and, and work out and maybe go for a run and keep fit. I just find that there's a direct correlation between... By the way, you're looking at this guy. This guy here, I found out today, was 130, you were 130 kilos. How long ago was that? Probably would have been about five years ago. What are you now? I'm about 90. I'm trying to get down to 85 to get the beach muscles. So. Yeah, okay. Let me ask you, um, what was the effective strategy for health you used to go from 130 to, to 90? Fitness? In terms of what I did, yeah. It, it's, exercise? It's exercise mindset. Um, I got to the point where... I was at that age where you want to go out, party, and go out with your mates and friends and pick up chicks, and the reality was I was just a funny fat guy in the corner, and something twigged, and it snapped, and I said, you know what, this isn't good enough, I'm not going to try, yeah. I'm actually going to do. And I think in anyone's real estate career, and for people that are watching, there'll become a point where you might write 200000 you might write 500000 but there comes a point in you where there's that burning desire, that hunger, where you want to rip the shreds to it and make sure that you do it. And for me, that was to be able to find my fiancé, to be able to be healthy and fit and, and, and be active. Um, that was the thing that twigged. Okay, so gang, just, I'm just, I'm just going to mentally press the pause button and just hear me out here because what Mark has articulated to me is probably one of the most critical behaviours of success. And that is that there comes a point where people have had enough of actually just saying it of liking an idea, of dabbling with it, of hoping, and they actually turn around and they say, I'm no longer just going to just dabble with it, I'm in, I'm signing in, and I will not do my best, I will do what is needed. Um, and you've done that, and by the looks of it, you've turned your life around, you're writing big money for a guy that's your age, you're earning the sort of money that... Um, Barristers, dentists, medical specialists earn. Um, you're looking a million dollars. So you've reinvented your health. You've reinvented your business. Um, and I think that if you're watching out there, the key thing is that a decision was made. And that decision was enough of, of, of a bit of this story that I'm, I'm going along. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and I think you're going. It's it's uh, the, the one thing that I think it is. Real estate is not a job; it is a lifestyle. And I, I use that term, and I just find it so true because you can't switch off. But if you want it, you can go for it. And it doesn't matter who you are. If you make that choice and you want the lifestyle, something inside you will break, and you'll make it happen. 
Okay, beautiful. Let's go. I got interrupted with your the ideal week uh, sorry. thing. That's what sorry. I want to. Sorry. Yeah, no worries. I'm, go back. I'm, uh, let's let's go back. So let's talk about what does the ideal week look like. Perfectly. Okay. So from Monday, I basically come in. I'm in the office at seven thirty, eight o'clock. I'm calling vendors, and at the moment, I'm operating with about forty two auction campaigns. So therefore, I need to be calling them pretty regularly and keeping the communication up. Um, I'll finish up all my quality vendor calls and they're not just a simple hi how you're going I'll probably spend anywhere between 5 to 15 minutes with them um, sometimes even half an hour if I have to so by the time that's all done I could be done at about 12.31 o'clock so that's giving them feedback from what happened on the weekend correct Okay. Correct. Um, and what's and what's coming up, and right. what should we do to obviously alter the campaign to improve it to get the right result if it's not travelling on the right path? Okay. Um, then Tuesday, or so Monday afternoon. So so Monday afternoon, pretty much from about twelve till about eight thirty nine o'clock at night, I'm on the road. Right. I am um, basically doing market appraisals, or I'm closing and negotiating a deal. If there's a very important vendor meeting, I'll try throw that in there as well. But essentially, I want to be on the road from twelve onwards with appraisals. Okay, Tuesday? Tuesdays we have our sales meeting from 8.30 to probably about 10.30. From 10.30 onwards we have stock run. So then we view all the properties. We'll probably finish up stock run at about 3, 4 o'clock. And then from 4 o'clock, I try not to do market appraisals. I just find them a little bit lethargic and, and spent. Um, I'll probably do vendor meetings. Right. Um, the vendor meetings are okay because I've already got the reports a little bit more relaxed. We have a cup of coffee and a chat. Vendor meetings will go from 4 o'clock to probably about 7.38 if I have to. Wednesday, I try having a, da- a day off, but the Wednesday, it just it doesn't happen. If the phone rings, I'm there. And what I tend to find is even if I do have nothing to do, I'm sitting at home watching TV or I'm in the gym thinking, you know, gee, I should have done this or I should have done that. And I, I end up coming into the office. So, uh, Mark, do you get dressed for work on Wednesday or are you wearing casual? I, I will wear casual, but right. I'm not in you know, a pair of shorts and a t-shirt I'm right. coming in a nice pair of jeans open neck shirt right. so if I do have to see a vendor I can still do an appointment right. um, or if I need to see a, a potential seller I can still do that as well um, on a Thursday we have open houses with the open houses provided I'm not doubled or tripled up I'm actually getting my assistant to run the open houses on the Thursday and then Thursday I'll do straight database calls Right. Um, if I'm tripled up, well, that means I then have to get out there. Otherwise, that's why I'm looking for an assistant now. Right. Um, I'll do those type of open houses. So database calls to anyone? It's to people? It's qualified. So it'll be people from the Sunday where I sit down, right. go through my market appraisals from 05 to today, and I'm just ticking through and getting through them. By the end of the week, I've got a list of probably anywhere between, say, you know, 80 and about 120 contacts that I need to make, I need to have the red pen out crossing them all off. And if they haven't been crossed off, they follow into the next week. Okay, Friday? Friday's just market appraisal day. Friday doing listing or presentations? Listing presentations all day. Um, Saturdays is open houses and options. Do you come to the office first on a Saturday or you go straight yes. to your open No, no, we come into the office first. I sit down with my team. We have a meeting. We discuss the properties that they're going to be attending to, the dialogue that we want them to use at those open for inspections, and we also explain to them, okay, well, if there is a property that we can close before an auction, let's do it. Um, we then come back into the office at about 4 o'clock after our last open. We send out SMSs, Section 32s, emails, uh, and make the important calls if we think we can sell a property. Yeah, SMSs to who? Uh, what? So after each open for inspection, we use a program called SMSer. 
Yeah. We pay for it. Um, I know a lot of agents maybe send them from their phones. We pay for this program. We log every every person that's viewed a property on um, a Word document. Yeah. We then enter it into this. We send them out a thank you for inspecting the property text. It's just another nice touch point if there's any potential sellers in there or any hot buyers, they've got a touch point. But what happens is when we want to do the auction day texts or a price reduction text, or we want to do what we call a database open for inspection, I don't have to call 100 people. I'll just send a quick text. Properties open at 11.30, new listing. And it shows your potential clients that you are working. Okay, what's a great way to touch What's the company called? SMSR. 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 So if you Google it, it's SMSR.com. Yeah. It's by Vodafone. I pay about $400 a month. Yeah. Um, and you're unlimited, is it? Or? I, I get close to about three and a half, four thousand 4,000 SMSs for that price. Um, but what it actually does is I might list a new property as an auction campaign, get an authority, get a you know full-blown marketing schedule. But the owner says, Mark, can we run a database open? I just don't physically have the time to call these people, nor do my assistants. Yeah. Boom, send out an SMS, 3,000 people open for inspection at this time we probably get a, a we get a pretty good strike rate you know we did one last week we had about eight families come yeah okay well um i think uh, there's another reason that you're standing out in a in, in a crowd of real estate agents they're getting a text from you on saturday um you're getting texts out to get people to go to um, auction days yes um price reduction texts all that sort of stuff yeah okay Amazing. So, Mark, let me ask you a little bit about um, brand and the attraction business model. Uh, because even though it's not uh, with the company that I'm involved in, you are a big print user and you are uh, a big online user. You use um, uh, decent marketing and you're one of the best in getting vendor paid marketing. Um, I want to talk about VPA. Why is it that this room that we're in right now um, I've sat in here with doing training with you guys and I've seen a lot of people in here and you sometimes would, I would potentially say you could get all the people in here and you potentially may get more marketing than what they do in, in a week. You do a lot. What makes you so good at getting VPA? I just think you've got to have conviction and you've got to believe it. Um, we use a lot of case studies as well. So I've got a property that I'm about to list in Bulleen. They saw the results of this particular property. I just basically bring the authority, the marketing schedule, show them the open for inspection books, and I identify where the people have come from. That, that's provided I get any objections. Um, I do use what we call a balanced approach, and that's the terminology that I'm using in my listing presentations now. Mr. and Mrs. Vendor, we need to be very balanced in your marketing. We need a mixture of online, but we also need traditional media. Let me explain to you why. Um, And then we go through the dialogues, very similar to what you use, the intellectual buyer, but we also use the passive emotional buyer. Um, Sometimes I don't even give them the option. If I've got the rapport, this is what we need to do. And we just go in there and we sell it. Um, if I can't get a great campaign, I will normally upsell after the first week and it's great when you get lower numbers coming through your properties or you get high numbers but you don't get the buyer retention where you're getting a lot of repeat customers or you're getting a lot of engagement. So then you can go back and say, well, sure, we're getting numbers but we've got a different problem. Let's upsell your marketing, hopefully try and find a different audience. Okay, so what you're saying is um, you're not going to get into a ping-pong arguing match over... Uh, vendor paid advertising if you don't feel like it's forthcoming um, you'll you'll go with a plan and then revisit it what within a week yeah absolutely the, the key objective is to get control 
Right. Well, once you've got control and you've got that authority, you can do anything. Yeah. Like I've got a property at the moment in Doncaster in Fairway. Owners want a private sale, no problems. Nod, polite, yes, be yeah. their friend, and really win the listing. Yeah. But then now I've got control. I'm having a meeting with them. I've taken half a dozen people through the property that have sampled it. I can go through, sell a story, convert, get the auction, get the marketing. But I've got control and I've got a 120-day authority. That, that, yeah. That's what you want. Okay. So for any of our um, viewers out there that are struggling with the whole vendor paid advertising concept, an approach that Mark does execute very, very well is the ability that if you haven't had success um, prior to having the authority that you can actually start educating when you've got control and you can do it with far more assertiveness um, after a week, particularly if you've got evidence to show that, hey, we're not actually meeting the needs and you've actually spent a week Mm. out in the marketplace. So take into account the two-stage vendor paid advertising approach. You want to do that though prior to you doing any marketing. I find if you launch on the market with advertising that's very basic and minimal and not high impact, when you go back and then you convert it and maybe do an auction or you get high-packed advertising... It's not a product launch. No, it it loses a bit of the sting when you actually go to market to try and maximise their price. Okay, so typically, Mark, um, you would do it like pretty soon after the authority has been... I would get the authority. Yeah. If they said to me they want to soft sell on the internet, I wouldn't do it. I'd yeah. say, look, let's try our database. We're a big company. We have over 80 offices, and I actually show them similar properties I've sold. And I will bring people through, but I let them know that if they actually advertise and make changes, their property is tainted. So we want to control, get the market intelligence first and foremost, and then make recommendations, and then I can upsell, but I've got the authority. And it's not me saying it, it's actually buyer feedback. Yeah. So it's more, it carries more weight. Sure. Especially with the vendor, because they think we're just out there to promote our brand and our company, whereas I can actually be intelligent about it and say, well, this is the contract request, this is the, the positive, so these are the negatives, this is what the overall feedback has been, let's tailor make you an advertising program now. Okay, can you can I ask you how do you what's the sort of dialogue or the positioning statement when you leave the listing presentation the first time that opens the door for you to come back in a few days time to talk about the marketing again because sure. you don't want to I suppose you don't want to come come in and them saying hey where did this come from why didn't we talk about sure. it sure yeah. M- Mr and Mrs Vendor look I appreciate you're not entirely you know, sold on the idea of heavily advertising and promoting your property. What I'd recommend we do is prior to actually launching on the market, for a period of between three and seven days, I will bring through some very qualified people. These qualified people have missed out on auctions and private sales. What I'd like to do is I'll bring them through in a pricing sample. Now, you may be hoping for $700,000. i will bring buyers between, say, six fifty and seven fifty. So we've got all bases covered. And what I'd like to do is when we catch up in maybe the next five to seven days, I'll have a proper report for you and gather the market intelligence of what these buyers have said. Now, if we find that we're getting three or four people that are biting at it, fantastic. You may be quite happy with the offers and you may want to move forward to the next stage and say, you know what, Mark, I don't want to go through a campaign. So you're not aggressively pushing them towards a campaign and advertising. But equally, you may have to say to yourself, well, Mr. and Mrs. Vendor, out of a very small sample, we've already got two or three offers. Yeah. Maybe if we expose the property with high-impact advertising online and print, yeah. there may be a, an opportunity here for you to maximise your price. 
And generally speaking, we get one or two offers and I've already set it up. Right. So most owners will think, well, gee, do I want the first offer or do I want the best offer? Yeah. And then they say, okay, well, you know what, Mark? Worst case scenario, I've only had six or seven people walk through the house. I've already got two or three people biting at it. Let's go to market. What do we have to do? And it's very easy for me to sell that because nobody ever wants to undersell yeah. their biggest investment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's absolute gold, gang. Um, so on the VPA, if you're struggling, consider this uh, two-stage approach. And that was just excellent dialogue, the way that you've eloquently put that there, Mark. Um, Mark, when you're writing a million bucks, when you've got big full-page ads, when you're controlling inventory online on the first one or two pages, sure. which is what you do, you've got positioning. So you've got the ability to actually sit in front of a vendor, not all vendors, but many of them, and mm. say, this is what you need to do. And they look at you as an expert because you're positioned like that in the marketplace. When you were writing 300,000 or 200,000 and you, don't ha you didn't have the ads and you had less stock and you didn't have positioning, what advice do you give to people to try and get into more appraisals? Because I would imagine that a lot of people do contact you because you are, have got profile now. You, sure. You know? What would you say to people that don't have the profile? You need to have consistency. Right. I, I think the chase is the most important part. If you can actually get the advertising from the little campaigns that you do have, provided you actually follow and chase those, it will spiral. Right. It, it will spiral. I, I don't think anyone is any better or any lesser than what I am in terms of what I do. I just think it's their ability to have conviction. Um, the person that sells the story the best will win. Right. It's as simple as that. So I don't think I sell advertising any better than anyone else. And I get a lot of people that are quite object, you know, have a lot of objections. I just have a lot more conviction and I sell it a lot better. That's what I think. Yeah, yeah. So when, um, when the story that you have is authentic, compelling, and actually is simple to say yes, it beats their story. Yeah, it's like if you're a solicitor. You may have a client that's guilty, but they sell a better story and they get off. Yeah. Um, I compare it to that. Whoever tells the best story, and you've got to think of yourself almost like a solicitor in that, sure, you've got to have the evidence and you've got to back it up, but it's how you actually project and portray yourself. And if people like you and trust you, it makes that job that little bit easier. And a lot of it is about trust yeah. and liking you. So from that first moment that they meet you, do they offer you a cup of coffee to sit down? You know, do they like you? Do they just get straight to business? Like, you need to read the gameplay. Are you good at reading the gameplay? I think I do. I, I, I actually don't talk too much real estate. Right. Um, it was really funny. I had one of the guys in our office the other day said, oh, you know, what do you do? What do you say at this? And I go, I don't. I go, very rarely do I open my listing kit. Right. Um, I do open it and I do go through the strategy, but, you know, you've said it before, you know, words change lives. And right. I think... If you can have that feeling and that connection with people, they'll go with what you say. Yeah, yeah. So I always say to people, Mark, and again, you've uh, repeated uh, my thoughts, which is it's not just what you say, it's how you believe what you say. Because how you believe what you say adds a different feeling to what is said because people do forget the words. Oh, yeah. But they don't forget the feeling that you leave them with as you deliver it, you know? Um, let, let, me, let me give you an example. My listing presentations will probably go for about two and a half, three hours. Right. That's a standard presentation. In one go. In one go. Right. In one go. If I have to go back, I will. However, an hour 
of when I get to the front door is rapport building. Okay? An hour is talking real estate and an hour is warm and fuzzy closing. Okay, so building that relationship further. So the first impression is, hey, he's a nice human being. He's a lovely guy. You know, gee, he's thinking of getting married. He's got kids or whatever it is. So and you I, talk about those things. I talk about those things, yeah. And sometimes I can even judge it that I've got the listing before I've even spoken about real estate because I like me. Right. And then we'll talk the important stuff, the numbers, the process and how it works. And yes, we use dialogue, but we make sure that it's tailor-made and it's personal and it's authentic. But then the last hour of it is actually then reinforcing that relationship of why they liked you when you walked in the front door. Right. That's my listing presentation. Warm and fuzzy, real estate, warm and fuzzy. Okay. So Mark has just said that he spends two and a half hours, maybe three, at a listing presentation and that the first part of it, um, well, two-thirds of it, is about likability about trust, about authenticity, about connection. Yeah. And there, in between, there's an hour of talking, here's the business plan, this is how we do things in real estate, yep. uh, this is what it's costing, these are the price levels, um, and then finish off again being humans, um, not being real estate. Yeah, and, you know, I, I got a listing the other day where they said, oh, gee, Mark, you spent so much time with us. The other guy just walked in and, you know, gave us a price, gave us everything, and then he had to go. He, he didn't really care. Yeah. I think my presentations and listings are because of that, where if I have a cup of coffee with them and we break bread, so to speak, and especially with a lot of the Europeans, like, I'm not sure if my colleagues have told you, but... When I go to my appointments, I actually walk in with a packet of Tim Tams. Right. Okay. So even first visits? First visits, I walk in with a packet of Tim Tams. I wrap it up in Barry Plant ribbon. Yeah. Okay. And I sit down. And what's the first thing that a vendor will ask you, Tom, when they walk into a house? Hi, how are you? Can I offer you a... Coffee? Tea? Sure. I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> really? Okay. I bring out the Tim Tams. We sit down. We break bread. And we don't talk any real estate. I know about the kids, their wife, whoever the So you don't do a guided tour? No. You sit down? No. And you know what the best part is? When I leave that presentation, the other agents will walk in and they are absolutely shaking in their boots because they've seen the Barry Plant Ribbon and Tim Tams. And they know I've been there. And I want them to know. Right. Because they've got to be on their game. Right. But then when I'm there, chances are they're going to walk in empty-handed. They're just another guy in a suit. They're not a human being. And they've got all this slick dialogue. Yeah. But I'm a friendly guy. And I've got good dialogue, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But, especially with a lot of the... And you're a European. With yeah. a lot of the Europeans, it's... You don't, you don't go visit your auntie or your uncle or a family friend empty-handed, do you? Yeah, no. You, it's, it, 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 it's common that um, share, generous gifts are, are yeah. standard things. And you're saying that every listing presentation... It's a tax write-off, Tom. Right. Every listing presentation, I walk in with Tim Tams in Barry Plant Ribbon. And when I walk out... I get lemons, I get tomatoes, I get whatever it may be. But that's the way it is. And if I don't, I'll get a cup of coffee. Now, this is the deal breaker. If they open the Tim Tams, yeah. I get the listing. Right. If they don't offer you, if they don't open the Tim Tams or offer you a biscuit of one of theirs, I'm still on the shopping list. Okay. Uh, because to me, it's obvious what they're saying is, let's spend time together. Let's let's talk. Well, yeah. um, um, I'm happy to break bread with you. That's it. That's the key. Yeah. Okay. So there is some really great insights on the listing presentation. And 
it wasn't what I was going to talk about, but uh, why wouldn't you when you've got a guy that's uh, uh, number one for Barry Plan? And uh, uh, you're only going to be number one if you're a world-class lister. Uh, Mark, we could talk for um, ages, um, but I want to finish off here today and ask you, you've been in real estate since 2005. If you were meeting you in 2005, what advice would you give yourself now? You've been in the business for eight years or whatever. What advice would you give yourself now? I'd probably say to myself, put on an assistant straight away. N- number one, um, the amount of time I got bogged down, you know, doing admin and emails and, and running around doing reports. If I had someone in my early years to actually do that, I think I would have been able to leverage and propel my career a lot further, a lot quicker. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would have said to myself was, I did the Barry Plant Auctioneer of the Year competition as a novice. Um, I waited probably two years to do that because I was focusing on the business. But what I found was when I wasn't writing the big dollars and I didn't have all these lovely awards and credentials, it was very easy for me to walk in as an auctioneer right. and have credibility instantly right. because I'm an auctioneer. Um, the first year that I did the auctioneer course, I lost and I was absolutely shattered. Yeah. I went back and did it the following year and I won it. Yeah. And when I won it, my career just boomed. Yeah. Because people can see you're the rising star. You, you don't say you're a novice, you're a rising star. And people want to be around young, energetic, successful people. And they could see I was cutting a path. And then each auction that I would do, I'd meet more vendors, more people would see me. And I was a jovial, non-autocratic, non-offensive, um, you know, not one of these aggressive auctioneers. I was jovial. And people liked it, and I picked up a heap of business that way. So I would recommend to your viewers, yeah, become an auctioneer as quick as you can, yeah, yeah, and make sure that you employ an assistant. Okay, uh, Mark, it's been fantastic. Um, I really appreciate your time. You've been very generous with giving us some great advice on vendor paid advertising, some excellent advice about getting yourself positioned um, and self developing, becoming an auctioneer, having that authority where they look at you and say, he's the guy that talks, he's the, he's, he's the boss of the day of auction day. That all makes absolute sense. It means getting out of your comfort zone and doing things that might make you feel temporary and competent, but in fact, they're actually growing you. Mm. you know? Thank you so much. Thank you, pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All the best. Awesome.